y'all listening to Devo with Uncle Theo, and it's day seven. Got my special guest, Detective Mills, with me. Dustin, how you doing today, man? Blessed. That's so good, bro. We're going to get straight to the text. And people have challenged us to stay under 15 minutes. You think we can make it happen finally today? Lord willing. All right, hopefully we age like wine and not milk. Yeah. We get better with time and we don't spoil. So let's go straight into the text, chapter 19. And it says, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now we got two angels coming down to Sodom. And we know that one of the angels stayed back and that's who Abraham was negotiating with and praying for. And we developed the theology for prayer. So this is really our first instance of intercessory prayer. And we're building our doctrine of prayer. And that's the beauty about biblical theology is you can build doctrines as you walk through the Bible, as opposed to reading a systematic theology textbook and somebody tell you all of the, the doctrines in an orderly format. You can build them from infancy to adulthood, like a baby. I love looking at doctrine like that. It really, it strengthens my faith to see it that way. So let's continue to do that as we point out things in the text. So these angels go down and you mentioned this before. Now, this, this area is so wicked. Not only is there immorality going on, same-sex immorality, when we get to the point where they come to Lot's house, they, the town, the people in the town want to come, and they know that those visitors are there, and they say, bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. That's verse 5. Listen to what Lot says. He says, but Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now, behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with a man. Please let me bring them out to you and do whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men in so much as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, two things, Dustin. I need your help here. So we got two angels but it seems like the people are seeing these two angels as humans. And so, look, you're my weirdo. You're my demon guy. We got to keep me out of the, the angel demon talk for a while. I'll jump back in maybe later when it comes back up. But we got to, you got to be the fall guy for this episode. Let's so talk to me, man. What is happening here? Is this, because we see it in Genesis 6, the sons of God entering the daughters of men. And we see it here that, they want to have relations with these men. They are seeing these people. Is this like a possession where angels are possessing human beings or are angels taking on human characteristics and moving about in that time period and engaging with mankind? Talk to me, bro. Yeah, you know I can get a little spooky, but <laughs> I think we can have Scripture to back us up on okay. this one. Something that comes to my mind when I read this text is, we look at the book of Hebrews. It says that sometimes we can entertain angels without knowing it. That's so good. Yeah, we entertain angels unaware when we deal with strangers. And no, that's a really good reference. And it, it makes me think, I wonder in our lifetime, has that happened that we encountered and shown hospitality, it says. It actually promotes the doctrine of hospitality to a stranger. That's one of those sanctified imaginations where you can go off and think about that. But we're going to stick as closely to the text as, as possible today. I want you to speak on this too, 
that the people want to have relations with these angels. So this is how wicked, this is how decadent this culture is. Not just the, the figurehead for the sexual sin of same sex. It's they're also wanting to engage in the lewd act with these angels. But Lot wants to make an exchange here with his two daughters. And so talk to me about the thinking of Lot because Lot is considered a righteous man, but in this transaction, we don't appear to be seeing a righteous transaction. Yeah. No, for sure. There's a few things that come to my mind when I think about this text is, one, does this happen often? Mm-hmm. Did Lot know that, hey, these two visitors are coming to town, mm-hmm. and does the whole town gather trying to do these wicked things to these visitors? Or were these men special in some kind of way? But also, I think that Lot knew that these men were probably more than just men. Okay. And so I think that they had, it was some kind of twisted reverence for these men that he would try to give off his daughters. I don't, yeah. I don't it's, it's hard to even fathom. You, you know where my mind goes with this, bro? Um, it's a, a little closer to home. You remember when Paul says, bad company corrupts good morals? Mm. I think, bro, if you put a righteous person in Sodom, this is the fruit of that. No matter how righteous a person is, that stuff will get on you from your environment, which is why even we see in Jude, what does it say? Save people from the fire, mm. but don't stay in there too long. Lest what? Lest you get burned. And so we just got to be very careful that we are in the world. We don't become weirdos now. We're in the world. We can move. We can be salt and light, but we can never become of the world. Because you lose your effectiveness. In fact, I've heard it said before that why did Abraham have to in a seed down from 50 to 10? Mm. That shows you alone that how impacted Lot was in this community, that his witness isn't even going for, that he could only redeem a few people. And we're about to see that here in this chapter. What are your thoughts on that, bro? No, absolutely. And I also, when you were talking, it, it made me think about when Jesus uh, sent the disciples in two by two. Lot that's was good. in the city on his own. Yeah, his good. wife was attached to the city, apparently, yeah. as we're yeah. going to see in a minute, right? Exactly. And so he was, even though he had a family that he was trying to lead, mm-hmm. he was still alone in that city. He had split from Abraham. Yeah. And so some of the city probably got on him, just like you're talking about. I like that. It's almost like Job's wife. She was there, but she was giving him curse God and die type mm. statement. So Lot's wife is giving me Job wife vibes. But let's continue to look at the text here. It says that here in 13, for we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, get up out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his son-in-law to be jesting. And so look at this here in verse 16, it says, right before 16, let's back up just a little. Let me read it through. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So he hesitates. So the man sees his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside of the city. 
got to talk about something here. We live in America where this is, especially in the South, in, in Mississippi, where you know how this culture is. We have Southern hospitality. You have to be fake nice. You have to put on this mask. And it's a lot of people from the North in our church who don't do that. They're blunt. And it rubs people in the South the wrong way when they're just being honest. And so we're learning something in the text that fake nice is not always it. We see compassion here as snatching somebody. Come on, get out. Like, we don't put that under our definition of compassion, but sometimes that's the most compassionate thing you can do is tell somebody about their sin. The most compassionate thing you can do is grab somebody and say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe on Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. Now, we can't go in the mall and just seize up everybody and do that on an everyday basis. But sometimes this is called for, bro, in an emergency. Somebody's on their deathbed. We have moments in life where this is what compassion looks like. But I don't think this fits the bill for most people's definition of compassion, do you? No, absolutely not. I, it makes me think about, we joke a lot of times when we do evangelism that Southern hospitality is one of our biggest enemies. It is. Because we knock on the door or we do talk to the people wherever they are and uh, they smile on our face. They nod their head. Okay. Right. But all they're wanting to do is appease us to get us off the, off the doorstep. Man, bro, we knocked on so many doors our first year in the streets. I always say this. After we finished talking to somebody and they said, I will be at church Sunday. <laughs> if all of the people who told us they would be in our church, bro, we would have a mega church right now. We'll be the biggest church in Mississippi. Right. That's what Southern hospitality produces. So let's, in this text, it says, we have to get this. I want to grab this. I want people to, to see this in the text because this causes a lot of problems for a lot of scholars, but it, it makes me rejoice. So let's look at verse 24. It says, so the fire and brimstone is raining down, right? But catch this in the text, bro. It says, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Hold up. Wait a minute. What just happened here? Bro, I see two Lords in my text. And this is what I was talking about. Every time the Father is mentioned, we see Yahweh, God in heaven. And when we see Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, it's Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, on earth. It's two Yahwehs here. And you have to explain this. The only explanation you can give me is this is polytheism, and we reject that, right? We're orthodox. We believe in monotheism. How do you explain two Yahwehs here in Genesis? Do we have an incipient doctrine of the Trinity forming? Absolutely. That's what we got, man. Christ on earth is raining down fire and brimstone from Yahweh in heaven. And so that's our Jesus. The same warrior from Genesis 6 is the same warrior here in Genesis 19. Bro, am I seeing stuff in the text? It, is my eyes playing tricks on me? What you got? Are you seeing the same thing? No, absolutely. I think you are seeing stuff. I think you're seeing Jesus. I, I, I like that, bro. Take me to the doctor and diagnose me as a man who sees Jesus too much. Praise I'll you. take that all day, every day. The last thing in verse 26, it says, but his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. We got to mark and remember that because Jesus brings this back up and he makes an illustration from it about 
staying focused on him and on the kingdom. Any thoughts there, bro? No, absolutely. I think that the verse right after that, after in Luke 17, it says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Man, Lot's wife was trying to preserve her life. She was looking back. She was remembering good times, and it cost her life. Christ says that whoever desires me must take up his cross and follow me. Mm. Got to lose your life to gain it. And so that's the kind of Christ we serve. And we'll wrap up chapter 19. It talks about we got another debase act with Lot's daughters. They come up with a scheme with him. And I'll read some of this. They cause their father to drink. They lie down with him. And let's pick up in verse 36. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The first bore, bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And he is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. So right now, because of this lewd act, this immoral union with Lot and his daughters, we have two people groups that flow through this. We have the Moabites, Moab there, and we have Ammon, which is the Ammonites. Gotta make a note about the Moabites. The Moabites, it's almost funny. It's a play on word. The word literally means, who is my father? Who is my daddy? That's what it means. And from this act, how that the comedy in that. But there is nothing funny about this saying, because let me tell you something. This is why this is not funny. If you look at the lineage of Christ, bro, guess what we find in it? A Moabite by the name of Ruth. See, it's not funny till you meet a lady by the name of Ruth who says that where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. And because of her faith, she marries into the seed with Boaz and they have a, a, a son who is the great-grandfather of David where our seed flows from. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Let's move into 20. Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev, we, we see in this text that it happens again, our Genesis 3.15 promise. We get one more attack on the seed before Isaac comes because the very next chapter, Isaac is born. What happens? Abimelech, and this is what I was talking about, how my professor would tell me. It's something demonic here going on because you know how old Sarah is? Why would you want her in your harem? Like, why do you want her as a concubine? Who wants a, a lady this old? But he, people are setting their gaze on her, and they want her. You don't see something more sinister there? This is war. This is enmity. Something is more charged behind what Abimelech is doing. And let's look at the text here. It says that, then God said to him, this is after he made a decision to move forward with Sarah, God said to him in a dream, Abimelech says before that, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hand, I have done this. And God said to him, I love this. It says, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Isn't that so good? Like this solves that problem and that tension of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. This man saying, hey, I held back. I, I did. I stopped this act. And God says, yeah, I know you stopped it, but I kept you from doing it. 
And this is how we have that tension in scripture all the time. And I'm joking by saying we solve the problem. We never solve it, but the tension is always there. Who's responsible for your spiritual growth? You, Dustin, or the Holy Spirit? Me, the Holy Spirit, me, the Holy Spirit. That's how we're going to play this game all day long. Every doctor who wrote scripture, Paul, God, Moses, God. You see what I'm saying? We go back and forth. And that's what we have to live in as Christians is that tension. And I love that text here. And so we get one last dem demonic attack. And look at what happens in verse 18. For the Lord had closed fast all the wounds of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Ironic retaliation. The God of the womb who kept Sarah from having children up until this appointed time, at such a time as this, did the exact opposite. This fertile group, he closes all the wombs because you will not touch my seed. I'll close all of your wombs until you all repent from this and I can move back with my plan. And it happens. He moves back with his plan. Boom. Chapter 21, Isaac is born. And we see the birth of, of Isaac. Bro, we have Abraham being obedient, but something arises in the text. Sarah turns on Hagar. This is the Sarah who was a part of the initial planning, the scheming, with Abraham, and now she turns now that she has her own son, and God tells Abraham to, hey, let her do that. I'm going to take care of the young lad. And summarize the rest of that for me, bro. How does he take care of him? Because this is beautiful how he didn't talk to Abraham for 13 years, but this is how gracious God is. He says, look, I still got a plan for him. I'll take care of him. Wrap the chapter on up for us, bro. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to me whenever I think about it because Hagar goes out in the desert and then an angel speaks to, to, the, to Hagar and says, hey, don't worry, God's got him. And this is what he says. It says, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand and I will make him a great nation. What's amazing to me about that is God knew that his descendants would be enemies of Christians and enemies of the Jews. But God was still gracious, spared his life, not only spared his life, but gave him abundance. Man, that's good, man. I appreciate that summary. And wrapping up 21, you get a covenant with Abimelech. And you know what this shows? I'm just going to summarize this. Abraham is becoming a king because now you have kings coming to him as an inferior to a superior. Mm. And they're asking for water rights here and trying to get water rights. And that's what you have wrapping up this chapter that, man, Abraham is becoming a king. And we see how he's moving like a king. And then we get into the famous chapter 22. Tell the